And I was thinking back, as I often do in revivals like this, and think back to my circumstances when I was saved. Um, I was 18 years old when the Lord saved my soul. My father was a pastor, been in church all my life, all sorts of services, drugged to all sorts of revivals, um, sat through many lessons, considered myself to, just by virtue of growing up in it and being immersed in it, to think that I knew a lot. Um, But what really struck me when I was saved was how ignorant I really was of the gospel. Despite being raised in it all of my life and hearing all the words and hearing all the jargon, thinking in my mind that I understood what they were talking about, thinking that I understood what I needed to do to be saved, and then realizing later, I just really didn't understand. I just really didn't understand. I want to read about this young man here who came to Jesus, and I want to think about not just what Jesus says to him, but I want us to think about what's going on here and consider this tonight. And the title of our message is Defining Our Terms. Defining Our Terms. And I, I really ask for your prayers tonight for God's help to try to make this as absolutely clear as possible. It says in Mark 10, verse 17, And when he was gone forth into the way, speaking of Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And the man answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And it says, he, that young man, was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I want to stop reading there and... Let's have a word of prayer before we go further tonight. Our holy and righteous God tonight, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. We thank you for everyone that's come in these doors. Lord, this is such a special opportunity for us to worship you and to rejoice in who you are, to rejoice in the fact that we have a relationship with you and that we have a hope that's alive within us. And to be able to look others in the eye who have that same hope, Lord, and to be able to sing together and pray together and and just rejoice together because we know what we know. But God, tonight, it also sorrows our heart because there are some among us, Lord, who, who don't know you, at least they've never given testimony that they have come to know the hope that we have in us. And Lord, I know that you 
With your holy eyes, you see every heart, Lord. There is nothing hidden from you. All is absolutely crystal clear to you, even when it's so opaque to us. And I pray tonight, Lord, for your help as I try to minister the word that your spirit would take these truths, Lord, and open eyes to see, Lord, these things that that are given to us in your word, that are given to us in your gospel, that, that they might understand. And Lord, understanding seek you to the saving of their souls. God, I pray for your help tonight. Thank you again for this word. Thank you for this opportunity. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to think about this man here as we look at verse 17 because we learn a lot about him. And this is really interesting to kind of thinking about, think about this for a second. This man was a seeker. I don't know how else you could define this man, but he was a seeker. Look at what it says about him. It says he came running to Jesus. There was a sense of urgency about this man. He urgently wanted to get to Jesus as quickly as he could. He ran to him. And when he found Jesus, it says he kneeled down before Jesus. He had what appeared to be a sense of humility about him as he knelt before our Lord and Savior. He reverenced Jesus. He respected him. He gave him a title of honor. Good teacher or rabbi to the Jews. Good rabbi. He, he honored and reverenced Jesus in what he said. And he asked the very right question. What do I have to do to inherit everlasting life? You could not ask Jesus a better question. That's the absolute right question. He is urgent. He is kneeling before Jesus. He is reverencing Jesus. He is asking absolutely the right question. He knew he was missing something. He didn't go to Jesus looking for something he already had. He went to Jesus seeking something that he knew he was missing. He felt a sense of emptiness, something not right in him. He knew he did not have something, and he knew that Jesus had it. And so Jesus was the one who could ask, answer this question. He went to the right person. He believed Jesus had the answer. And if we, on the outside... Okay, we have the advantage of all these other verses after this. But if we were just to stop at verse 17 and just read that right there, on the outside, you would look at this man and say, this guy is ready on the cusp of getting saved. I mean, he's urgent. He's humble. He's going to Jesus. He's asking how to have everlasting life. I mean, he respects Jesus. I mean, this guy has got to be on the verge, on the cusp of getting saved. In fact, many people, when you see somebody like that, unfortunately today, many, anyone who would even show half the signs of this man, of being interested in eternal life, would be taken through some formulaic approach and given promises that aren't really theirs. But the fact is that God sees not like we see. All we can see is the outside. All we can see is the external appearance. But God, who searches the hearts, looks on the inside. He sees what's really going on inside of this man. 
And the way Jesus responds to this man should teach us, should instruct us in something that we just can't judge a book by its cover. But there are things that need to be taught, that need to be explained, that need to be expressed, and truly salvation is a matter of the heart between an individual and God, and it's not something that we can broker. It's not something that we can figure out and make happen, but it's truly between an individual and God, because who else but God can see the heart? And this very evening, tonight, every single one of us, my heart, your heart, every heart here, God sees exactly where you're at tonight. He knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows what your stumbling blocks are if you're lost and you desire to be saved and and maybe you've been seeking and you've not yet found that salvation. Yes, we're a church that believes in seekers. You understand what I'm talking about? People who have a desire to be saved, at least it's expressed, who, who perhaps outwardly seem to seek the Lord, but yet have not been saved. This man is a scriptural example of such a person. This is a Bible example of somebody in this condition. Because he's asking all the right questions, doing all the right things externally, but after talking to Jesus, he went away sad. He went away sad. But we don't want anyone to go away sad tonight. Amen. We don't want anyone to go away sad tonight. So when this man came to Jesus, Jesus came to him right where he was at. And of course, Jesus had this ability, because he's God, to be able to see into the heart of a matter. And he took something that man said to him and all the things that seemed so right. And he said, you called me good. Why did you call me good? You see, what Jesus starts to do right out of the gate is to define the words. Define the words. What do we really mean when we say these things? We say a lot of things up here in the pulpit and in testimonies. We talk about good and we talk about evil. We talk about being lost. We talk about being saved. We talk about being convicted. We talk about repenting. We talk about believing. And people hear these things. And the reality is there are times when people say things and we know what we mean. And they think they know what we mean, but we're not really meaning the same things. I've had to learn some new words when I've come down here. You all carry people places, but you don't really. Right? You all talk about cold. And what you call cold and what I call cold are two different things. Sister Wilma said, isn't it cold tonight? And I just smiled and shook my head because I know to you all it's cold tonight. It's not quite as cold to me and some of us who've been in Alaska. But I I know what you mean. You see, there's different words that we use and we can mean two different things by it. And that's exactly what Jesus saw was going on in this man is that he did not really, really get it. And so he came to him and he says, First of all, why are you calling me good? In verse 18, there is none good but one, that is God. 
this man called Jesus good. Jesus is good. But this man didn't really know who Jesus was yet. He didn't really understand that. He thought that Jesus was a man, a teacher. He didn't call him Lord. He didn't get the full sense of who, who Jesus was. And so Jesus knew that when this man called him good, although he is, this man didn't really know who he was. And this man was throwing around the word good in the way that we often use it in this world. We use the word good most of the time in a very relativistic sense. Relative to somebody else, something else, you're good. You did a good job on your homework. You did a good thing when you stopped and helped somebody fix their flat tire. You did a good thing by helping somebody carry their groceries in. You did a good thing by letting your sister go first and not put yourself forward. And that's the way we use this word good because we're using it in a relative sense among other people. But the way good is used when we're talking about salvation, when we're talking about things of God, all of a sudden we have to completely switch our scale and our definition. Because what Jesus said here is when we talk about good on an absolute scale, there is nobody good but God. Nobody, when we talk about good the way it talks about in the Bible, nobody is good except God. Because to be good in this sense means to be perfect in all the things you think, in all the things you say, in all the things you do, in every intention of your heart. Brother John spoke so well last night about God's wrath and God is not evil in His wrath. When God is angry about something, it is a righteous anger. It is right to be upset about the things that upset Him. And what Jesus first wanted this man to understand is that there is nobody that is good in this sense of the word good except God. You're not good. You're not good. You are not good enough. You are not righteous. You are not pure. You are not perfect. You are not enough. You are not good. Only God is good. He doesn't speak about evil here, but it's kind of implied because of where he's taking this man. If we were to use the word evil tonight, we would think of somebody who is a murderer. Someone who is a liar or a cheater. We would think of of people involved in shootings on the news. And you might even hear people on the news judge something as being evil. And we use it in a relative sense when we think about other people and what they do and what they don't do. But when we speak about evil, when we speak about evil, real evil, in God's language, in God's vocabulary, evil 
is anything, anything that falls short of good. Anything that is less than good of God's perfection is evil. Friend, you have an evil heart. You have a heart that is desperately wicked, that is drawn to sin, that is drawn to everything less than what God is. In fact, that the fact of the matter is that God cast our first parents out of the Garden of Eden and brought a curse upon all humanity for a sin that honestly seems trivial to us. They were told not to eat a piece of fruit and they ate it. That was it. To us, that seems so little. So little. But when God is good and God is perfect and He's holy in every way, anything less than that, my friends, is the definition of evil. And that is the condition of your heart and what sin is. We talk about sin is any action or inaction that's contrary to God's perfect standard. When you do the very thing that God says not to do, that's sin. And when you don't do the very thing that God told you to do, that's sin. That's what sin is. And this man, we would look at this man and say he was lost. We use that word. We, I grew up with that word. But do you know what it means to be lost? To be lost is to be separated from God. To be separated from God because you are evil. Because you are living under His wrath. Because God cannot let evil go unpunished. It's to be separated in your relationship with God. And I don't know that this man knew the word lost. But he knew he was missing something. He knew he did not have eternal life. He knew he was separated from God in a sense. He knew, even if he didn't know the word, he knew he was lost. Where do you stand? Where do you stand tonight? I remember the Lord first convicted me when I was about eight years old. Remember where I was sitting? Remember the terror that filled my heart? But I lied to myself for a long time and I didn't want to admit it. And I remember the day when I finally admitted to myself that I was lost. And I would ask you tonight to get honest. To get honest and real and sincere about where you really are in relationship to God because there's only really two places. Saved, and we'll talk about that in a moment, or lost, apart, and separated from God. And we understand that 
young children, there's a point when they're not understanding and God has graciously covers them. But there comes a point when God's Spirit allows them to see that something's not right. And my friend, you're never going to get saved unless you're first lost. But it's not enough to know you're lost. This man knew he was missing something. But that wasn't enough. You need to really know who you are. And I've told you, I've told you these things tonight, but I don't know if it's really setting into your heart, if it's really sinking in, because that truly is not something I can do with my words, as simple and as clear as I try to make them. That is something that God's Spirit has got to show you in your own heart. And what we're going to see Jesus doing in these next few verses is we get to see, in a sense, how the Spirit of God works. Because Jesus said, when I leave... I'm going to send the Spirit, and He is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus was saying the Spirit of God is going to be doing this kind of thing. So what was Jesus doing with this man? What was He trying to help him see? And so He came to Jesus asking for, uh, for eternal life. He asked Him this question about what He meant, defining His terms. And then He goes on to address His question. He says, you know what the commandments are. And what Jesus does is quote six of the Ten Commandments right here. He quotes six of the Ten Commandments. And what Jesus is going to do through this process that we're going to see in these few verses is He is going to be working to show this man, to show this man that He is not good. He used that word so freely. And what Jesus is going to try to show this man is that he is not good. And this is what I said today. The Spirit of God is doing this because he has come. That's what God's Spirit does in your heart. He's trying to convince you. That's what the word convict means. He's trying to convince you. To show you. To make it real to you in a language that you can understand. To convince you of... Sin, the sin of unbelief, to convict you of righteousness, that you have insufficient righteousness, that there is this really standard of good and that you're not that. And to also make real to you the judgment that is to come if you remain lost. That's what God's Spirit is doing in the hearts of those who are lost. He's trying to make these things real. And, and the Apostle Paul, as he was, uh, the Lord was speaking to him on the road to Damascus, the Lord told Saul, you know, as he was talking to him, he says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads like you're taking a sharp stick and trying to push an animal along. That's what the Lord described the work of the Spirit as. God's Spirit was trying to, to prick him, to goad him, to push him toward what the Lord was trying to do in his life. The Lord was trying to save him. The Lord was trying to help that man. But what God's Spirit felt like to him was like pricks, like, like this hurt, like this pain, like this sense of loss, like this sense of separation. It scared him and he was pushing against it. Friend, don't push against the Spirit of God tonight. He's trying. Do you see where he's trying to push you? Do you see where he's trying to push you? He's trying to push you to Jesus. He's trying to bring you to that place that you could have relief of that burden so that you could be saved, the opposite of lost. 
And so he's pushing and he's goading and he's working in your heart to try to make these things real. And I just want to cooperate with him tonight because he wants you to see this. He wants you to understand this. Jesus went through six of these commandments, not all ten. In fact, the six that he addresses are the back six. The back portion of the ten commandments. He doesn't address the first four. If you've ever looked at the Ten Commandments and thought about how they were arranged, there's an order to them. There's a purpose. There's a a way God set them up. The first four of those commandments are about our relationship with God, loving God. About not having any other gods, not making a likeness of God, because who is like God? Not taking God's name in vain in an empty way. In reserving the Sabbath day as a holy day. All of those laws are simply ways to express a love toward God. And the back six, the last six of those commandments about what? About honoring your parents. Not killing. Not committing adultery. Not stealing. Not lying about your neighbor. Not coveting. Things that other people have. Those are the back six. And all of those commandments are about practical ways to love other people. You can break it down into loving God and loving other people. That's why when Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment? You love God with all your heart. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. And on these things hang all the law. And the prophets. But what Jesus brought up to this man was the commandments about loving other people. And this man, when he heard those commandments, and I I want you to think about this tonight, he heard those commandments, and his perspective, what he thought about himself, I've done all that. I've always done all that. I've always been a good kid. I've always honored my parents. I've never killed anybody. I don't steal. I don't covet. I haven't committed adultery. I'm not lied about my neighbor. He thinks through all these things and he really, really believes that he has not done those things. And Jesus is about to show this man that you're not really as good as you think you are. That was a stumbling block for me. I really, really thought I was a good kid. I really, really thought I deserved to be saved. I prayed hard. I'd go down to the altar every time they'd give an invitation. I would try to do all the right things. Every birthday, I can remember blowing out my candle and just wishing that that year I could be saved. I really, really, really wanted it. 
I didn't want to be an outsider anymore. I didn't want to sit there while they were singing and rejoicing and feel completely left out. Not that they were trying to make me feel that way, but I knew in my heart things weren't right. And it frustrated me to no end that I was trying so hard and I was at every service and I was doing all the things and I still wasn't saved. But what God's Spirit was doing in me and was trying to help me see and it's the same thing He's doing with this young man right here through Jesus is to show me, was to show me that I was not good. I really wasn't good and I'm still not good. But I'm saved. Amen. But I'm saved. And so Jesus is working with this young man and trying to help him see this, trying to help him see that he's not as good as he thinks that he is. And he said, I've done all these things. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And he said, you've got one thing that you're missing. One thing. I want you to take all that you have and I want you to sell it. Sell all of your possessions. Sell all of your belongings. Give all of that money from your selling of those things. Give it to the poor. And follow me. Come after me. Get rid of, give everything up and give it to the poor. And come after me. And it says that the man was sad at that saying because he was very wealthy. He had a lot of things that God had given him. God had given him those things because he wouldn't have had them unless God allowed him to have it. God had blessed him. And I look out tonight at every person in this room and in some way, shape, or form, you are blessed. Every one of us lost and saved in this room, you are blessed. We live in the wealthiest country in the world. Our poor are very wealthy in comparison to the poor of the world. And I'm not saying that our poor don't need help and that we shouldn't care about them because we should. But we in this country are very, very blessed. And it's not just in terms of our possessions, but the opportunities that we have, the talents that God has blessed so many of us with. We have been blessed. And the sad thing is that we can take these blessings that God gives us and we can cling to these things and we can love the blessings that God's given us more than we love the blesser. And that's called an idol. That's called an idol. In fact, that's the first commandment, isn't it? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't have anything else in your life that you put before me. That's what a, a little lowercase g God is. Anything, anything in your life, anything that you make more important than God is a lowercase g God. It's an idol in your life. And what Jesus is showing this man, because he said, sell everything, give it to the poor, that's not moving him to do it. We don't see that he ever did this. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus wasn't telling this man he could buy his way to heaven. Jesus was trying to show this man where he was really at. 
Jesus knew exactly what this man needed to hear. I don't have that kind of wisdom to come up with some sort of scenario for you like this. But I trust God's Spirit to say exactly what you need to hear. This man didn't love other people as much as he thought he did, the back six commandments, because he wasn't willing and motivated to sell everything to give it to the poor. Neither did he love God as much as he thought he did. He thought he loved God. But when God said, okay, everything I've given you, give it up and follow after me, He said no. He was very sad at that. Instead of a seeker, he became a sulker. He sulked as God's Spirit was revealing to him what was really going on. He wasn't willing to go any further with it. You see, it's not just enough to understand the gospel. Because Jesus was bringing this man to a better understanding. But he went away sorrowful because he did not continue to really seek. You see, to really seek, because we encourage you to seek God, is to seek God on His terms. To come to God in God's way, in the way God is trying to draw you. And and this man was coming to Jesus, but as Jesus was revealing to him what was really going on, he pulled back. He pulled back. Because he didn't like what he was seeing. But the commandment from Scripture is that you should seek God. And you should continue to feel after Him. Because He's not very far from any of us here tonight. Coming to hear the Gospel to a service like this is seeking, in a sense. Maybe some of you who are younger, it's kind of forced seeking, but I'm hoping that tonight you're listening. Asking questions about what's concerning you, what you don't understand, that's part of seeking. But ultimately, you've got to do something about it. You've got to move toward God. You've got to seek His face. You've got to look to Him. You have to talk to God. What do you mean? What do I talk to Him about? And there's no magical words for me to give to you. But the commandment of Scripture is to repent and to believe. To repent and to believe. What do we mean by repent? I'll tell you that only somebody who's been convinced of their sin by the Holy Spirit will see a need to repent. And that's not about confessing every sin that you've committed because I don't know every sin I've committed. There's no way you can know every sin you've committed. It's not about naming out certain sins. What it's ultimately about is turning away from self-trust from self-sufficiency, turning away from your way, your wants, your idols, and looking to Jesus. The belief part. You see, true, the true repentance and faith are just two sides of the same coin. Because that turning away from yourself, God was trying to help this man see that he was not as good as he thought he was, that there was nothing that he could do 
Nothing that he could do of his own to get eternal life so that he would see that to help this man come to a place where he might turn away from trusting himself, from trusting his idol, from trusting his blessings, and turn and believe and put his faith in Jesus. To look to Jesus to do this thing that you can't do. Because he really is good. He really is good. And that belief is not just believing the facts about Jesus. That Jesus was real, that Jesus was God, that Jesus came to the world, that Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's not just knowing those facts and saying, I believe those things. It's about putting your trust in Christ. To go to Him realizing you can't and to look to Him and ask Him to save you and to put the full weight of your eternity upon Him. And I've heard many of us describe what we were saying and what was going on in our heads the moment the Lord saved us. And they're all just a bit different. But one common thing is that God's Spirit was helping you to realize that you were not enough. I know that goes against everything the world wants to tell you. But when we're talking about salvation, friends, you are not enough. You are not good. You are not good enough. But there is one who is. And this Jesus, I want to draw your attention to this as we come to a close. Jesus looked at this seeker And it says he loved him. Verse 21, Jesus beholding him loved him. And this man was wrestling against what Jesus was saying. I want you to know tonight, and I want to say on the authority of God's word, whatever you're doing in your heart tonight towards God, if you're even pushing away and trying to resist, I want to tell you tonight that Jesus Christ loves you right now. He loves you right now and He is trying to speak to you. He's trying to draw you to Himself and even as you might be resisting and pushing against everything His Spirit is trying to tell you, I want you to know that He loves you. He loves you in your sin. He loves you in your weakness and your wickedness. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save the good people because there are none who are good. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save you. He came to save you. And tonight, He is working through His Spirit, I believe, and I hope to try to show you and to make this more clear to you so that you might seek Him to the saving of your soul. Because I tell you that there is a promise for seekers. Can I give you a promise? This is a promise from God's Word. And so, this is true, no matter what. It says in Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is a promise from God. And I know, because I've been on the other side, 
I tried to make all sorts of excuses in my mind and think that I was unsavable. It was too late for me. There was no hope for me. I was just too messed up in my head. Everyone was telling me I was overthinking it and I think I can't stop thinking. That's all I do is think and I just can't be saved. But my friend, God is not going to break his word for you. He's not. He's not going to break his word for you. He has promised you that if you will seek him with all your heart, you will find him. And I want to tell you tonight, he loves you. And he wants to save you. And I'd like to have an invitation tonight. And the invitation, again, is to go to Jesus. To go to Jesus. We have a place here in the front that you're welcome to come and pray. And and it's simply a convenient place for us to gather around and pray for you. But my prayers... Their prayers, nobody's prayers can save you. But we just ask God to work in your heart to help you see. We pray for Him to give you opportunity. We pray for His Spirit to work in a powerful way. We pray that that, that you would have a heart to keep seeking, but you need to seek God. You need to talk God. Let me tell you this. If you know tonight things aren't right and it bothers you and you feel that separation, you feel lost tonight and you feel that and you know things aren't right, wouldn't you like to feel and know tonight that things are right? Wouldn't you like to have just the opposite feeling inside of you? That's what God is offering if you would seek Him with all your heart. As we stand and as we sing tonight, come to Jesus.